0: So we mentioned before that uh, we are honoring our seniors today and so I wanted to give them a word that was powerful to me when, or that would have been powerful to me that when I was uh, graduating high school uh, and moving on to different things and looking at all the change that was ahead of me. I heard this um, this story that I'm going to share with you. I heard it given to me in the light that I want to give it to you. Uh, around that time of my life, and it was an incredible blessing to have something to carry with me. And I hope that it will be for you seniors who are graduating, And but I also think it's something that we can all take, uh, a word about faith, um, a word about what God can do for us. So, once again, I'm grateful to be before you, and I want to open the Scripture for us. I believe that the Scripture is meant to preserve stories that happen to other people. They're stories that tell what God did in other people's lives and that preserve for us the memory of who God was in their situation. Once we know who God was in their situation and what happened, then we can know who God is in our situation and what can happen for us. So I want to open the scripture for you in that way today, and before we do that, I want us to bow our heads and pray. God, thank you for your scripture. Thank you for sharing it with me in such a powerful way, uh, that it has changed my life. I pray that you will help it to change the lives of those who might hear it today. We lift this message up to you, and we lift our own hearts up to you. For changing and shaping. Help us to be open and help us to hear the message as a word for us and then as a word that we can share with others. We thank you and we praise you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. So, what does faith take? There's this story in Acts chapter 27 that explained to me a lot more about what faith took and it taught me that rather than asking the question, what does faith take, maybe a better question is what does faith not take? So that's a question that if you're taking notes, maybe you should write that down and keep an eye throughout the the scripture as we explore to see how you can answer that question for yourself. So I wanted to begin by giving you a bit of background for this story. <clears throat> this here is a map of Paul's journey. And so this is the journey that he's about to go on in Acts 27, uh, which is the passage that we're looking through. So if you're following along in a Bible, please, you can open that. There's some under your seats. You have your own. Acts chapter 27, and will be the main focus and we'll be pulling from a couple different places um, throughout the throughout uh, Acts as well, starting back in chapter 21. That's where the context for this particular story actually starts to build. And Acts chapter 21 all the way through 28 are about Paul's last journey. In 21, he starts beginning to head back to Jerusalem. And so he he travels and he reaches a certain place. So we'll come back to this one later on uh, and I'll explain Uh, the the journey that he goes on as as we begin to explore. Um, And I suppose I wanted to say this before I got any further. Um, Seniors especially, this is something that I needed to hear. And this is something that ties into our story. And it says, God can make something out of any decision that you make. So as you move forward into this next stage of whatever you're doing, especially to the graduating seniors, but also to anyone who else might be making a transition or facing a tough decision. I want you to be confident that God can make something out of any decision that you make. So let's keep that in mind as we move forward. So Acts 22 through 26 uh, is where that that context builds, and I believe I might have meant to say 21. Um, Paul is in prison and on trial for over two years. After he return, he makes that return journey to Jerusalem and he encounters their opposition from the Sanhedrin, the leadership in Israel, uh in Jerusalem, and they are they oppose him and they, they turn him over to the authorities. So he's tried um, before the Sanhedrin, before two governors and before one king throughout the course of these chapters. He's just brought before different people. There's, at one point, one of the governors doesn't know what to do with him. He's like, well I, he didn't commit a crime, so I can't punish him, but I don't want to make the Sanhedrin angry because they're all angry with him, so I can't release him. So he was just waiting. And for almost two years, Paul was in captivity to this one governor who was just, the scripture says, waiting for Paul to give him a bribe. And he's just waiting and waiting and waiting. And all this time, you know, Paul had been traveling all over the world giving messages and strengthening churches. And now he's limited to maybe talking to one governor every month for two years. And his ministry just stalls out in that way. I think he... There are some times when he sends letters to other people, but you hear in those letters his longing to be with them and his longing to travel. So Paul is in this circumstance. And if you can imagine, put yourself in his shoes, when you've been so invested in ministry and you've given everything, where does your motivation come from to keep going if it's taken this much if it if it's all led to this at the end of Acts chapter 26 Paul appeal or at the end of in chapter 25 actually he appeals to Caesar so he's being tried before different courts throughout Jerusalem and before those governors who are overseeing that area and even before King Agrippa he realizes that he's done nothing wrong and he just wants it to be done with. And so he says, I appeal to Caesar. What that means is that he has to eventually be taken to Rome, to be tried before Caesar himself. And Paul, I think, sees that there's more to this. He, he, he realizes that stuck in this one place, he can only minister to so many people. And how much can you keep telling a person who only wants a bribe from you? So, why does he do this? Why does he keep going? There are a couple of verses and you can refer back to them. Um, but Acts 21.13 is as he's traveling back to uh, Jerusalem, as he begins that final journey, he meets with some friends along the way. And there's a prophecy, a prophet named Agabus, prophesies that he will arrive in Jerusalem and that he will be chained. And that he will be taken to prison. And that all of these bad things will happen. And people are really upset. They say, Paul, don't go. The prophet here has just told you that this will happen. And Paul looks at them and says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready to go to Jerusalem and not only be bound, but also to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. He acted on that conviction and he continued. In Acts chapter 25, verse 10 and even into verse 11, he explains to the court, he says, I've done nothing wrong. I'm standing before Caesar's court, which is where I ought to be tried. You know that I have not done anything wrong against the Sanhedrin or against the people of Israel. He says, I'm not afraid to die. If there was any reason for me to die, if you could find it. But this is just becoming a drag. And then he says, I I appeal to Caesar. Starting the next phase of that journey as he moves toward Rome. Something may have been stirring in Paul that he knew that was where God was leading him. And at the end of Acts chapter 26, verse 32, we find that King Agrippa listens to his defense, listens to Paul. And he says, the king himself says, this man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. Knowing that, Paul was giving himself over to a long journey all the way from Jerusalem up to Rome by sea, a dangerous journey, as it would turn out that wouldn't go as had been planned. And so he gives himself over in this act of faith. Maybe something was telling him that Rome is where I'm supposed to be. So he acted based on this conviction. He was ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. And he would not be turned away. So Acts chapter 27, verses 1 through 12. This is where we'll go back to this slide, and I don't know how well you can read those small names, but he, the the red line is his route of travel. They start down in Jerusalem, and they travel up the coast. It says they boarded a ship from Adramidium about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia. This is the beginning of uh, Acts 27. And uh, they, they begin to sail up the coast. They visit those ports. As they're traveling, the centurion actually allows Paul to go and see some of his friends when they stop at the place called uh, Sidon, which you may be able to see up there. So they stop briefly at Sidon over on the right-hand side, and they, they put out to sea again, and they, pass, and they pass to the lee of Cyprus. It explains that the winds are not favorable for traveling. So they pass to the Lee of Cyprus. Then they go across the open sea up there underneath Pamphylia, uh, and they travel. As they keep going, they, they get all the way to Nidus, which is on the, what would that be, the, the southwest coast of that area of Galatia. Um, by then, things are getting really rough. They pass to Crete, and they're able to make it all the way to Crete, which is that long island in the middle, and they, they come to a place called Lassia, um, or near the town, of, they come near Lassia to a place called Fair Havens. At Fair Havens, they, they face a decision, and Paul says, Paul actually says to them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, took the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Because the harbor was, uh, at Fair Havens was unsuable, unsuitable to winter in, the majority of them decided that they should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. And that was the harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. So, they decide that they should keep sailing. Even though by now it's, it's late in the, the sailing season, it's, it's too late, honestly, for them to be traveling and they know it, but they also know that they can't really stay where they are. So Paul warns them that they shouldn't go, but faced with little choice, they, they decide to sail on. The boat is going and they don't know when Another chance when another boat will come by that's headed that way. So they decided to, to take the risk. So they start sailing along the shore of Crete. And before very long, the scripture says, a gentle south, or, oh, a gentle south wind began to blow. So they, they take their opportunity and they sail along the shore of Crete. So they begin sailing along the shore of Crete, and all of a sudden there's this wind of hurricane force that's called the Northeaster. It sweeps down from the island and catches the boat in the storm. The boat can't head into the wind, and so they, all they can do is just let it be driven along. All of a sudden, all these things start to go wrong. This storm won't end, and it just keeps taking out more and more of their original intentions. They're afraid that they'll run aground on the sandbars, and so they lower their sea anchor, which is a device used to drag the ship and slow it down. So they're just trying to go as slow as they can. They can't even make the lifeboat secure. The the wind is so wild and the water is so wild that they, they pull it aboard. And they even have to tie ropes under the ship itself because they aren't sure if the ship is going to hold together. It says that they took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the ship's cargo overboard. And on the third day, they began to throw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And it says that when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging we finally gave up all hope of being saved so they're in this dire circumstance and there are a couple things that I want us to pick up on they let go of some things throughout this journey First they let go of the cargo. They are a merchant ship sailing for Italy. They, the purpose of their journey is to get that cargo there and to make their money by selling it there. So letting go of the cargo is like letting go of the purpose of their journey. They let go of the tackle. On the third day, because there's just no use for it anymore, and they need to lighten the ship, so they throw it overboard. They tackle their means of doing things themselves, their way to get the job done, and they just can't do it. They realize that the sh- the storm is too strong for them, so they let it go. That was their means for controlling what was going on on the ship. Right in the middle of this storm, there's a Paul. There's Paul. He comes in and he gives you this I told you so speech. Because remember, he had told them, I'm not going to or, I, I don't think we should take this journey. I think this is a bad idea. This is after the Day of Atonement, which is late in the sailing season, is basically what that is saying. And this is too dangerous. So Paul has already you know, washed his hands of any guilt in this. But he's not content with that. He continues on. And in this section, if you'll look at um, verses uh, 27, verses um, 21 through 26... Not only does he give this I told you so speech, but the first sentence in there, it says, after they had gone a long time without food, which you know is just the best time to talk to a bunch of angry sailors and say I told you so. Don't try that. Paul says, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice. But He says, but keep up your courage, men, for I had a vision, is what he goes on to say. Last night an angel of the God whom I serve and to whom I belong stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So he turns to the sailors and he says, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So he has this vision and he declares his faith in God that it will happen. And that it will happen in spite of their circumstances. No matter what is happening, Paul has faith that God will carry him throughout this journey that he sensed was beginning a long time ago. This angel has told him, You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So he has faith that God will carry out what he says he will in spite of the circumstances. But he says, nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So he knows that this tragedy is coming. He knows there are consequences for the circumstances. For choosing to go against what he felt God had told him. He's like, guys, I I heard from God that this was going to be a disastrous journey and we went anyway. So there are consequences. But I also believe that we will be okay. So Acts 27 Uh, Verses 27 to 44 is where you can look now. And that uh, that gives the details of the shipwreck. It was the 14th night of the journey of this storm. Not just the journey, but the 14th night that they've been caught and carried along with this massive storm that's sweeping across the sea. He says they were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea When about midnight, the sailors got the sense that they were approaching land. So they took soundings, uh, which was a way of testing how deep the water was. They found that the water was 120 feet deep. They travel a little further. They wait. They don't know. They take soundings again, and they find that the water was 90 feet deep. So they know that they're approaching land, and they know they're running out of time to do something. So fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, it says, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight, just trying to bring everything to a halt and wait until they can see what's out there, because they just don't know. So here they are sitting in this storm with four anchors dropped there. All of a sudden, they begin, you begin hearing this, this muttering and these secrets being passed among the the sailors. It says that the sailors, the crew members, aside from the merchants, aside from the other people there, begin to make a plan. And it says, pretending that they were going to drop some anchors from the bow, they Went in, they went to the bow and they, they since they had brought that lifeboat on board earlier, they, they begin to put it back down into the sea very quietly. Somehow Paul finds out about this and he says to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you will not survive. Part of the deal apparently is what... Paul has learned is that all of them have to be saved in the same way. And it's not going to be by their effort or by their own means of escaping. So he says to them, if any of these sailors who are hatching this planet escape, none of us are going to live. This needs to happen altogether. And so the sailors, excuse me, so the, the soldiers in this crazy moments of faith, listening to this one man who says he had a vision about an angel in a God in which they don't even believe. Listening to this one man, they they step out in faith and they cut the ropes that are holding the lifeboat. The Scripture says they let it drift away. Which I can only imagine watching your only lifeline, just drift into the sea. They cut loose the lifeboat, trusting Paul that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense. And have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Then Paul stands in front of them. He breaks some bread. He gives thanks to God in front of them all, and he begins to eat. The men were encouraged, and they took some food themselves. It says there were 276 people on the ship. They all took their food, and when they had had enough, they decided that it would be better to lighten the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Another act of faith that they take is they realize they're they're either escaping today or they're not making it all. So, no use for the food anymore. But what I find to be yet another symbol of faith was the fact that Paul was willing to eat. If you know you're about to die, there's no point in taking another meal unless you just want to enjoy the last few moments. But Paul takes a step of faith and says, you need this food to survive. He knows that they're going to survive because he has faith. And so he starts that act of faith by taking some food himself. The men are all encouraged, and they do so as well. When daylight came, they didn't recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea. And at the same time, they untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and let the ship be driven along. And they made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent them from swimming away and escaping but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan so he orders those who can swim to jump overboard first and anyone who and get to land if they can and anyone who has not anyone who cannot swim he says Find a, piece, find a plank or a piece of the ship and get to the land that way. And it says that in that way, all of them, all 276 of them, reached land safely. A couple other things that they gave up along the way was the grain. And we talked about how that was an act of faith realizing that God was going to carry out His plan or they were going to die. Putting their hands up like this and saying, okay, I can't do anymore. God is going to save us today or we're going to die. And they gave up what sustained them and they asked God to do that for them. They cut loose the anchors that were holding them Just last night they were afraid that they would run against the rocks because they didn't know what was there. And the daylight has revealed a sandy beach. So they just cut the anchors. They don't bring them back on board. They want the ship to be lighter. So they leave the anchors in the sea behind them. The one thing that had been tying them down and that just a few moments later had been the only thing keeping them safe so they gave up their security. And then they untie the ropes that held the rudders, giving up any control over where the ship was going, and trusting that the wind would be favorable to get them to the beach. So they gave up their control. Not only did they give these things up, But they ate. As we talked about, that was their sign of faith that Paul led them through. They spared the prisoners. If you're a Roman soldier and the prisoners escape, when you get to Rome, you die because you let the prisoners escape. So they risked their lives in that way trusting that something would affect these prisoners, that God would help them when they got to Rome or or that the prisoners would stay together. And then the the one that has stuck out to me the most, I think, in this passage is that they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. That's the foresail on a ship. And they put it up and it's just going to pull them wherever the wind puts them. So in this tremendous, to me, tremendous act of faith, they, they put this sail up to catch whatever wind is there without any anchors, without any rudders, without any control over this extremely light ship now that can be blown any way. They put the foresail up and they say, okay, God, take the ship. Then they jumped overboard. So they gave a lot of these things up on the way and I've found in my own life that when I've had to take steps of faith I've had to give those kinds of things up. I've found that part of where this story begins is also important. There are a few shipwrecks there or there are a few storms um, on the sea or on lakes or on Whatever it may be, on bodies of water where, that are recorded in the Bible. One is in Jonah. Um, the other, uh, the other one, which is told three times throughout um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is told um, there. And that's in the first one, in Jonah, the story begins by Jonah not obeying God and going the opposite direction, the direction he's not supposed to go. And that shipwreck ends, or that near shipwreck, the ship threatens to break apart. That ship, or that that storm ends the moment that Jonah is thrown into the sea, when he realizes that he's the one who's done something wrong. And everyone in that story is saved. And it's done by admitting that something's wrong. By changing it. In the Gospels, the story is Jesus calming the waters. Jesus falls asleep in the front of the boat. And the disciples are going crazy. The The storm is coming on, and they don't know how he's just laying there sleeping. And they call on him, and they say, Lord, save us. And he wakes up, and he calms the water, and he says, where is your faith? Another story about ships on the ocean that brings faith into the issue. And in this story in Acts twenty seven, they're saved through their faith. It's as if we've been on a journey. First, somebody isn't doing what is right and they have to jump overboard. First second, God has to be the one. And then he questions their faith. And third, it seems that Paul has discovered something about this faith. And throughout the journey, he and the sailors and the soldiers and the centurion have been taking these steps of faith, relying on God to do what he's done before, to save everyone. In my own life, I think what can be meaningful for the the seniors is I found that as I went to, to school, I, I had to make some changes in my own life. As I went to Roberts Wesleyan, which is where I'm still at right now, I had to make some changes in order to take those steps of faith. And one was giving up this security. There were a lot of things that I never really talked with people about that I just knew about myself and I was okay with. And they weren't bad things. They were just hidden deep inside of me. I was a quiet person, especially back in high school, I think more so, and I didn't share a lot with people, and so maybe the point that stands out for me the most is that to grow and begin to take a step of faith, I had to open myself and give up my security, so maybe those were my anchors that I was letting go of, to take the step of faith and to move forward into new relationships that since then I've stuck with and I've Learned through. Giving myself over to new people was a step that God needed me to take and a step that took a lot of faith because it was something that scared me. As I can imagine being nervous about cutting off anchors and leaving them in the sea. And there may be something for each of you that comes and that you have to let go of yourself. for each one who is moving on to a new stage, or for each one who's looking for a way to grow in your faith, instead of asking, what more can I do? I think the first thing we need to ask is, what needs to go? What needs to change? Is it, something, is it some habit that you have that's preventing you from moving forward? Maybe it's stealing a time of your day that you need to be in prayer or in the Word. Or maybe it's an attitude that you have about other people that makes you more protected. If you just push off the things that you don't like and don't ever engage them, you'll never make it to the beach. If you just hide those things that are guarding you and that are keeping you safe where you are, those anchors then you can never make it any further. And if you are still trying to take control, if you still have the rudders, those ropes that hold the rudders, if you can still steer the ship yourself, then maybe you'll never get to where God is trying to pull you. There are certain things in each of our lives that we have to give up. And you know them far better than I So I wanted to give us a chance to think through those as we finish. What needs to go? So maybe this is something that you can write down for yourself and keep with you throughout this week. Or or maybe this is something that you can decide and just remember. But ask yourself, God, what, what needs to go? And when you're ready, God... I am ready to give up my own purpose. This isn't about me getting my cargo to where it needs to be to get the money that I want. This is about me following God where He is leading me. This isn't about me being able to do everything. This isn't about me having control over what's going on. This is about me letting God take care of me. This isn't about me having my own way out of things. My own safe place to retreat back to. My own way to escape and to do it in secret. This is about me staying on the ship no matter what the storm looks like. This isn't about me being able to sustain myself through, my, through what I have. This is about me realizing that the ship needs to be lighter for God to be able to pull it where He wants to go. And this isn't about me trying to stand in one place and to not be moved, but it's about me cutting loose what's holding me back from where God wants me to go. So maybe those things that you have to give up. And maybe you have to identify one or two of those things for yourself to take the next step in faith in Christ. There were also those steps of faith that we looked like. that weren't things that we looked at, that weren't things that we had to give up, but things that we had to take a step to do. And those things, the examples throughout the story were eating. Trusting that God will do what he has said. That was about as a soldier not killing the prisoners and risking your job which can be applicable to some of you maybe. Putting your job on the line putting your life on the line if you're a sailor or if you're a if you're a, a, a soldier who could be killed for letting those prisoners escape. It's putting a lot out there. And that's taking a step of faith to say, God, I'm here. I'm giving these things up in my life and I'm stepping forward into what you have for me. And when you're ready, put that for sale up into the wind, and let God lead you wherever He wants to lead you. Let's pray. God, thank You for how You have been close to us all the time. And how You have promised that You will be with us all the time. And how You have given us something that is strong and something that is firm that we can hold on to even when there are going to be storms. Even when there are going to be things that we have to let go of and things that are not going to be comfortable or easy. Thank You for being close to us, and being the one thing that we can rely on, being the promise that will carry us through whatever we're going through. God, there are people in this room that are going through things that not all of us know. The circumstance in which I heard this story for the first time, God, was a friend telling me about a their son who was sick in a hospital. They didn't know if he was going to make it or not, and it was minute by minute, they were just wondering what was going to happen next. They were praying to you, God, and they trusted you. And someone shared this story with them and explained all the things that they had to give up. And in the end, their son was saved. And they were so grateful and that story has been shared with many people, including me. So I thank you for your your story of faithfulness in that circumstance and I pray that you will be with us like you were then with them. God, your scripture and your stories tell us who you were in other people's circumstances so that we can know who you are in our circumstances. So we thank you for your word. We pray that we will take hold of it today allow it to change us. Help us to give up whatever we are holding on to so tightly. Help us to move forward into whatever you are pulling us toward. Help us to see that sandy beach and not be afraid if we strike a sandbar on the way. We pray because we believe. We pray because we have faith. And we give these things over to you because we know that you are trustworthy. So we thank you, and we praise you, and we pray in your name. Amen.